Hello, it's great to be back again, and thanks for joining me on these, this episode of B2B Uncovered, where we peel back the layers and we learn from experts in marketing, growth, and sales. And it's a real pleasure to welcome Adele Rivella as my guest today. Adele is the CEO and founder of Buyer Persona Institute. And today's discussion is around the question of how do you ensure a return on investment, an ROI, on buyer personas? Now, there's no person more qualified to answer this than Adele, who's the author of the book Buyer Personas, which happens to be the Bible on this subject. But before we dive in, can I ask you, Adele, to give us a short intro on what your company does and who it serves? Well, so we're exclusively B2B. Thanks, Paul, first of all, for having me here today to talk about my favorite topic. And um, we are, uh, we've done a few, a few projects for B2C companies, but my distinction is that you need a different kind of a focus on personas, not necessarily with B2B or B2C, but if your buyer is investing weeks, months, or longer, evaluating their options and making a, a choice. So it, it's, it's primarily B2B because it's, I would call these high consideration buying decisions. Yeah. And I think a lot of the confusion around personas starts with not making that distinction that we're trying to bring over from consumer marketing, the kind of work that's done. If you're, you know, you're trying to build a TV ad for the Super Bowl is a whole different construct than if you work in the field I worked in for four decades now, which is primarily tech, primarily technology, where, you know, buyers, this is not an impulse buy. Mm -hmm. This is hard choices. And what we have to do as sales and marketing professionals is enable buyers to get enough knowledge and experience of what we, how we solve the problem for them, that they'll trust us. And this is all different than, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try out a new gym and, you know, I go there once and I don't like it. And I, <laughs> I stop or I try out a new program on Netflix and I hate it. And I click to another channel. You know, here we're talking about buying committees, making decisions that they're betting their company on getting this right. Yeah. It's a whole different thing. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, an interesting point that about getting their company on. And I, I will come back to this point, Adele, because I know that reading, to, it's about people's actually, and some of these are such big decisions that people's careers depend on it. And they are not going to put themselves on a limb without doing their homework. And therefore, as you said, it's about informing yeah. the the, the, those who are selling to really understand what the motives are. But before we go, I'd like to just read a definition or part of a definition, which is from you um, on Biosome. And I think it really is good. Actually, it was used when, when I put together a presentation many years ago, which we'll come on to as well. So Biosome is examples of real buyers who influence or make decisions about the products, services, or solutions that you market. They're a tool that builds confidence in strategies to persuade buyers to choose you rather than the competitor or the status quo. And more critically, insightful buyer personas readily inform strategies for persuasive messaging, content marketing, product or solution launches, campaigns and sales alignment. And I think that's absolutely 
on the money. I mean, that was written by you some time ago. Has that is that changed at all for you, or is that pretty much? No, it hasn't changed. It's it's a very purpose driven definition of buyer personas, and and um, that is absolutely. I'd stand on that today, and I'd say that just as uh, with the same using the same words. Um, the the only thing that I find that I now have had to years later spend more time on is what do you have to include in your buyer persona to enable all that to happen? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's I mean I always tell people the goal of personas is not personas. I mean getting personas done is fundamentally just the halfway point to having a better marketing strategy, marketing message, sales enablement, playbook, whatever it is. And if you stop when you finish the personas and don't go on and and use those insights to inform those strategies, nobody's going to be impressed. And there's not going to be any ROI at all. And uh, But a recent, somebody on LinkedIn, I don't remember who it is, apologies, um, said that they had done a poll and you know, 77% of marketers said they didn't refer to their buyer personas. And well, so those are, I, I suspect it's higher than that. Um, that because most personas don't have the right information in them to build strategies around. And, and that's what's left out of that definition, Paul. Mm. So I'd like to spend some time on that today because mm. I think most people have the intent right around personas, which is what that definition focuses on. Mm-hmm. What they're missing is what's the content of the persona to make that possible. Mm-hmm. And and so then nobody looks at them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a sad fact, isn't it? And I start to talk about stats. And I've, I've read on several occasions that 70% of content that is created in organizations never sees the light of day. It doesn't even get out of the department. Now, you could have another podcast on that because that's just criminal. Yeah. But yeah, I'd imagine there's a lot of documents with great personas that are just sitting there unused. They're sort of a tick box exercise. And obviously, it's like anything. You know, Unless you use it, unless you put it to work, you might as well, well forget it. You might as well not use it. Not you yeah. do it in the first place. So, okay. So I agree with you because as I as I mentioned to you a couple of days ago, I actually did your masterclass on personas. In, it was actually June 2014. I was looking at the document, but I got it with me, um, which was fantastic. And I know that your, your, the Bio Persona Institute has moved on heads and shoulders since then, which is great. And we'll talk about that. But And that gives you the nitty gritty how. How do you roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty to do this? Because what it isn't is just downloading a template from X, Y, and Z and filling it in, filling in the blanks. As we know that, we, I learned the hard way, Adele, because you taught me uh, seven, seven, eight years ago, and, and that's been really fruitful to me. But before we get into that, and uh, what I want to do is I just want to cite some statistics from Forrester, I think, which you used in an article in 2020. And obviously, the caveat is providing buyer personas are done properly, and obviously, that's what we're talking about, then the ROI on personas is impressive and measurable. So this came from Forrester, uh, which I think it was serious decisions at the time, and obviously, they've been uh, acquired yeah. by Forrester. So lead conversion rates dull. I'm just going to go through these. Like 36 to 48% increase in click-throughs. 50 to 80% more content adoption, 
and 30 to 40% faster close rates. Now, when I read those, because at the top of it, I thought, well, if that doesn't convince anybody, nothing will. But I suppose my question would be, do you, do you recognize that from, you know, it's all like reading research from Joe Bloggs, Forrester, whoever, but you've been at that coal face, that beta, that's yeah. an English expression, at the coal face, you know, with sleeves rolled up, getting your hands dirty, working with it over, an, well, decades. And do you see those actually, do you recognize those sorts of improvements? Yeah, yeah, I do. And but it's still more rare than I would like. I mean, mm. the reason I wrote that book, which was the worst year of my life, I hated writing a book. Um, but I did it because so few people, A, even build personas properly to even enable that result. And, and then, you know, in some instances, they just sort of sit on the insights after they get them and mm. they, you know, or they'll email the personas around to everybody in the company. I was just on the phone with, oh, you know, a, a Fortune 100 company yesterday talking about that exact fact. We, we built, we did the research, we interviewed real buyers, we brought them insights, we did a workshop with them to help them build their message strategy around those insights. And this guy impressively said to me, Adele, I know that if I just email these messages out, if I just email them, they have, they're a global company, they have marketers all over Latin America, APAC, EMEA, you know, North America, of course. And he says, I know it'll just land with a thud. And I'm like, yes, you know, great job because you're right, you know? And, and so it's, yeah. It's work to get this right, Paul, yeah. is the thing. And it's not more work than writing content that nobody reads. <laughs> That's sure. work too, you know, or that never leaves the department. Yeah. But it's a different kind of work and it's a different mindset. It's like instead of just, you know, investing in content and writing and, and work that we're going to send out and hope something sticks, we have to invest in knowing what our buyers want from that content. And then we have to invest in getting the teams to pay attention to what the buyers want from that content. And so it's a different, it's a, it's a shift in mindset. And, mm -hmm. and for a lot of companies, it's a cultural shift. You know, they're just not used to doing that. And so what we've discovered is, you know, it's equal parts sort of doing the research, which is, was a pivot we made you know, about 2012, 2013 to start doing research for our clients rather than just training them how to do that, which we still do. That masterclass you attended, <clears throat> it's still on our website. Is it? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's still early morning here. Um, at, but the, um, the fact is, is that we doing the research is not enough either. You've still got to like, sit down and grapple with, okay, here's the 45 things that matter to our buyers and that they want deep content about. So not just, don't just tell me it's easy to use. Tell me, I want to know, you know, I want to know how you make it easy to use. I want to know how much training is required before it's easy to use. I want to know what level of, of, of user will find it easy to use? And will it be easy for the end users as long as not as plus the non-technical people? And so your buyers have, you know, oh, it's it's 
it's integrated with my other solutions. Well, great. What? How do the APIs work? And how much customization do I have to do? And will you do it? So the thing is, is that in a complex sale and B2B, since you're, that's your focus, I can go here, Paul. Yeah, yeah, Which sure. is, you know, these buyers are not satisfied to hear the benefit. You know, we're going to grow our business. It's going to be, we're going to reduce our costs. We're going to be a you know, we're it's gonna we're gonna be operationally more efficient. Oh, let me pick a buzzword. You know, we're gonna digitally transform our. We're gonna have digital transformation. We're gonna move to the cloud. <laughs> Every everybody already knows that they want to know in more detail from your content. Here's the ROI. Here's how you get those results. Tell them, give them proof that you can deliver that result. And proof in the old days used to be success stories, and there's still that's still a really highly valuable asset, but it's not the only way to do it. And what the a good buyer persona will tell you is that another way to do that is to get into some of the specifics and details and answer the buyer's questions about how you're going to deliver that benefit. Yeah, I, you know, it's all coming back to me now, Tell because, you know, I must admit, um, that exercise I did, I used for a good few years in a consultancy I was running then. And I, you know, I, I picked the phone up. I did these, um, these um, interviews with buyers and people who didn't buy. And, I, and, and, and you know, we'll talk about the, the, uh, the five, it's the five rings, isn't it? It's the, yeah, five rings of buying insight. Yeah. yeah which obviously is the structure around it, and that's sort of the how. But you're right. People, look, everybody has got a reason beyond just what it's going to be, how fantastic it's going to be if they're all going. If you've got a personal investment in what they're doing, yeah. what they're buying, the research that they're doing, and they, and that's where you really want it. You won't get that in a form. You won't get that. You have to talk. You have to uncover that. You have to be very good at asking questions to yeah. people who then will open up to you. And you've got, and yeah. and I think there's no email or survey that's going to do that, right? You know that. I've, exactly. I've yeah. So two not. points about that. Because yeah, the sure. problem with, the thing about templates, we have templates on our site too. So, you know, and I hate templates. Mm. And it isn't because I hate the templates, because having structure for data is really valuable. What I hate is, is that it's too easy to collect it takes the emphasis about how you collect the data you're putting in that template. Mm -hmm. And the typical marketer here, I'll take this and you're probably going to recognize yourself on this call. They'll interview some internal experts for the data on the template, like somebody in sales and, you know, some other people who are subject matter experts inside your company, plus a couple of existing customers. Now, you know, that's, it's not like that's the wrong thing to do. It's mm -hmm. just insufficient mm -hmm. because you're getting a very, very limited and biased view of what a market full of buyers needs to know. First of all, your internal experts aren't patterns and trends people, particularly if they're in sales. They're thinking about when you ask that question, they're thinking about the guy they had lunch with yesterday. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they're thinking about the deals they're working on. And, and and when you interview your customers, you're talking to people who love you. <laughs> it's 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 actually kind of satisfying to interview customers because they'll feed back to me all this stuff, you know, like talking to you, Paul, 
you're a customer, you went through my masterclass and you loved it. Great. That's insufficient. What about all the people who didn't go to the masterclass? And, and that's really what we have to do as marketers is we have to understand the people who don't embrace our approach and who don't, you know, just immediately go, oh my gosh, Adele, where have you been all my life? You wrote the book on buyer personas. How do, where do I get it? I mean, so it's, it's just insufficient data collection for the buyer personas. Yeah, and one of the points, to, totally, totally agree with that. One of the points is data from salespeople is only a small part of the journey, right? And also, if, if salespeople all say, oh yeah, but it's the cost, it's there, it's there. You know, another thing, Prospects overemphasize cost with your salespeople to help them negotiate the best possible price. So yeah, you're right. You talk to you know it's, people want to hear people want to hear what they want to hear, right? So if they want to just justify tick the box, hey, I've spoken to the salespeople, I saw that did a spoken to a couple of customers. You're right. It's 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 not going to be good enough. When I when I did this exercise, I was doing it for a, a managed IT services company, and. They, they were told that a lot of their clients were law firms. And so basically, I think I had about five customers and three people who didn't buy. And I was just looking at it, Adele, because I printed it off, right? Here it is. Mm-hmm. Well, there, it is. there it is. And <laughs> this, is, this, is the, this is what I did. And so I'm really, I found this quite fascinating because I've forgotten about this. It was perceived barriers. Now, for listeners, this is perceived barriers, one of the five weeks of um, expectations and and we'll we'll come on to that because Adele will talk more about that but just whilst it's because it's relevant to this conversation I had I interviewed people where they didn't buy and this is a quote they were unsuccessful in getting the work largely because they didn't do a virtualized solution which is what we decided we wanted at the time and they subsequently admitted that they were slightly behind the times with that for all the right reasons being a little bit careful now that insight to that vendor was we we probably got to get this virtualized solution up, right? You're getting that because some because you lost that deal. Another one. Another one was they didn't understand our needs. The first proposal we got was absolutely ludicrous in terms of cost and requirement. He didn't understand who we were or what we wanted and what we wanted to get out of it, which was the biggest problem. And I can go on, but you know. That is it's gold dust, isn't it? To 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 know yeah. actually, we've got we've got you know, these. The, you're going to get so much insight by speaking to people who actually didn't buy, <laughs> which yeah. is not just your happiest customers. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, Paul. Okay. Yeah, that, that reminds me that it also for continuing with your with that conversation is watch for surveys because that's the other way that that marketers are comfortable collecting data is building surveys. Um, but there's the, the two problems with surveys is one, you're making up the questions and answers. And when you do that, you're biasing the results you get. You're only getting answers for the questions you asked and that you think are important. And, and this isn't about that. This is about listening to real people. You, if you knew what was important, we, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So here's the thing. You don't know all the questions you need to ask. And or the answers That's that you so should true. provide, and you'll yeah. just get you won't learn anything new from that. Yeah. And then the second problem is with surveys is that the first answer to any question is never an insight. So when you ask a survey and you get an answer, and then the person goes on to the next question, 
what you're missing is the opportunity. Like we have in a conversation, which is the way this research is done. It's the way you did it. You call up and you interview people. Then, you know, people give you an answer and you can then ask a follow-up question. Oh, we, you know, we really cared a lot about the, the um, experience that the company had in that in our industry. There's a common insight. So what about the, and, and now, you know, we could write that down and now we know what everybody else knows. We didn't get an insight. We just know that we need to be, show that we work in that industry. What we really want to do is follow up with a question about what, you know, what kind of, how did that help you? have that what kind of industry experience were you looking for and where was that useful to you in this evaluation you know was it that and getting people to tell stories because this is what this these interviews are more like journalism than research and so you don't have to and in fact the people on my team a lot of them have journalism backgrounds the people that that's, that are journalists understand getting inside the buyer's story that's what the, that's what your buyer persona should tell you. What is the buyer's story about making this decision? And you don't want to go into it with a survey or a script or or like, what did you think about our website? Because <laughs> people will tell you, you know, those, oh yeah, you've got a really great website. People are nice or they're not nice or whatever they are, but it's about it, you're not really gonna find out like you would in a true storytelling, okay, what did you do to evaluate your options? And if people say, oh, they went to websites, then you can ask about that. What were you looking for on the website? What was hard to find? What was what was most valuable that you learned from the websites that you went to? What was frustrating about that website experience? You can ask follow-up questions. You can't do that in a survey. No, definitely. I don't want to come back to that because... What I found about it, and I can see why your business has, has pivoted you know, since 2013-14 from just teaching people how to do it to actually doing it for people. Because, yeah. you know, it's a bit like, well, I could teach you how to install a gas boiler, right? But I wouldn't. It's probably, probably not. But it's probably not a good idea that you try to sell, right? Yeah. And exactly. it's it's a bit like that. I found it a bit like that. You know, it's a skill set. And, you know, and obviously... We'll come on to that. But I think what I'd like you to just go through, Adele, if you wouldn't mind, is the five rings of buying insight and, and a quick sort of description of that. And let's have a, a, a chat about yeah. it. So the first one is priority initiative. So tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Tell the listeners a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So the thing is, is because this work is, is um, based on the buyer's story, we need a way to structure what we learned. In other words, we need a way to find patterns across yeah. all the interviews we conduct. And so we created the five rings of buying insight as a way to take, to excerpt quotes and findings from the interviews and, and build a persona. They'll say, hey, you know, across the interviews we conducted, first of all, there's five categories of insight. And the first one, priority initiatives, is at the beginning of the buyer's journey, what were the triggers? What were the drivers? What caused this buyer to decide on, on, you know, in a real story that they're telling you about a recent buying decision, what caused them to seek that benefit now? If this is not a benefit statement, you guys, it's not even a pain point because These are things that changed in the organization and the company and the person 
you know, like join, just join the company or whatever, the cousin decide now was the time that they had to go make this investment. That's what priority initiatives is about. And you're probably going to have, you know, across for your persona, you're going to probably have three to seven different drivers that you discover that are all the uber pain points, the ones that get people to say the status quo is no longer acceptable. We've got to change. We've got to go spend money to solve this problem now. Yeah, excellent. Thank you for that. So, so I remember I'm looking at this document that I created. It's a, the top of it says, what business conditions trigger this buyer's decision to look for X? And as you said, it's not this, it's, it's, it's definitely not what people make up in, in, in the marketing brainstorming group, right? No. <laughs> um, so that's the first one, priority niche. The, the second one is success factors. So yeah. I've, I've got a question here. What results or outcomes does the buyer persona expect from X? Yeah. And, and this is the one that tends to be the least surprising from the interviews, um, but that's noteworthy. But uh, fundamentally, these are the benefits that buyers expect from making this investment. And marketers usually know the benefits of their solution. So out of the whole five categories of insight, this is the one that's least surprising. Right. But here's what's important about this. is you get to hear it in the buyer's words, the way they describe the benefits at the level of detail they need. And you get to realize that some of those benefits that you've been talking about didn't even come up. You know, and so we get a more focused and concise uh, and clear and, and easy to communicate set of benefits out of the success factor insights. Excellent. Yeah, totally agree with that. Okay, so the third one, correct me if I'm wrong, perceived barriers. So I got a question there that is at the top of my document, which I did many years ago. What attitudes or concerns prevent this buyer from investing in X? That's a, that, that, and again, that must take some uncovering, right? You know, it's good. I mean, this is all qualitative um, information, yeah. as you said. You just wouldn't get in a, in a, in a survey, etc. But it's about the art of asking the right question. First of all, I, I do remember I had to set these calls up, and they were set up so the, the client would say, "Okay, well, here's five people. Um, I'll make sure they know that you're going to call them or the email them, blah blah blah." So you got all that work. You know, it's quite a bit of prep work, um, and then you've got to have the conversation, and then. If I remember correctly, I all the calls are recorded, they're transcribed, you're picking out the bits. You know, it's a, it's a fair chunk of work, Adele, isn't it? Yeah, it right? is. Um, and if, yeah, so I can see why, where, why there would be a demand for that as a service by people who really know what they're doing. Because come back to the gas, gas boiler analogy, you know, you don't want to blow the whole thing up, right? Um, is there anything you want to add to that? So perceived barriers? And yeah, I would just say that, you know, with all of these categories of insight, it's important that you realize that it's not about asking a scripted question, like what were your objections? What were your concerns? Mm -hmm. This part of the inner, the perceived barrier insights are, you know, what got people buyers got solutions providers eliminated from consideration? So it's really about asking that, you know, as you go through the interview, um, how many companies were you considering to solve this problem? Well, we were talking to five. Well, good. Um, what did you do next? Well, we did, I don't know, we did demos, we went to their website, whatever. And then after that, how many did you have under consideration? Well, we got it down to two. 
So here's where the perceived barrier insight comes from. Great. So what did what was it about those three that caused them to be eliminated from your consideration site? What got those companies to be eliminated is where those perceived barriers. Well, they didn't have this. They couldn't do that. They wouldn't talk about that. The salespeople didn't care enough to even answer my questions or give me a good presentation. So I figured that, you know, they weren't going to be very caring after they bought, I bought if they didn't even care enough about me before I bought. And, you know, all those things come out from how did people, and then my favorite is, okay, so you got it down to two and then ultimately you got it down to one. What was it that got that company eliminated? And now we're really down to, you know, getting inside the buyer's mind around the subtleties of it. They're trading off cost versus a quality versus timing and all the other, you know, there's usually, we're getting into the next insight, um, which is decision criteria. Let's go there. The fourth category insight is decision criteria. These are all the questions your buyers are going to ask as they go through this evaluation. And this is usually the most detailed part of the persona Um, because your buyers have a lot of questions about your ability to deliver all those success factors and benefits. And and as they were going through all those questions and weighing all those different options against their budget, you're going to get a lot of insight into what got and perceived barriers, which is what got people eliminated, but also in decision criteria. Every single question that your marketing content needs to answer, that your salespeople need to have sales plays around, have sales enablement content around, have training around to be able to go to the level of detail that buyers have around those questions. And sometimes it'll bring up product features that are really missing, like your virtualization example there, where you know companies, we've had clients adjust their product roadmap based on what we learned from this. Because they've realized that, you know, there's capabilities that are really, you know, significant to buyers that that were really that that are causing them to lose deals. And also that they were some things they were investing in that weren't as important to buyers. So um, that's why, you know, these these buyer personas done properly will inform product sales and marketing strategies. Just as in the last part of that definition that I read out by the beginning, you know, forming the strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to the perceived barriers, it was interesting because when you were talking about that, I was talking about it's about the buyer experience, isn't it? It's all about if you have a bad buyer experience, if, if they think the salesperson is really just flipper, not, no, no attention to detail, that's a bad buying experience. And guess what? Yeah. They will just fast forward and go, well, if you can't do that, or she can't do that. What's going to happen when I'm a client six months? Yeah. And, and we- yeah, well, I don't know how much your audience is able to, to solve that problem. So, you know, typically our customers in marketing, and when we bring on that finding, they're kind of like, hmm, how do I really deal with the fact that the salespeople aren't effective? Um, and plus, some of that's coming up in win-loss analysis, which is really a whole different kind of research. Um, but I would say this. In 80, just over 80% of our studies, we did a check once, we found that buyers had eliminated a provider from consideration simply because the salespeople couldn't answer their question. Wow. 
And so we've really got to sit here and say, as a marketing team, what are we doing to create content around decision criteria, which is your buyer's questions? It, you know, are we giving the salespeople enough? Are we giving them, you know, we're the enterprise-wide, we're the flexible, scalable, fully integrated solution for enterprise-wide business success kind of content? Or are we giving them content that gets into the detailed questions that buyers have in, uh, in, when they're going through this decision? And so, you know, I always want to say, because, you know, this is, sales and marketing are famously at odds anyway, and maybe that isn't true in your company, in which case you're fortunate. So we don't want to drive more division with this kind of research. Instead, we want to keep saying, what can we as marketing do to build more detailed content, Paul? Absolutely. Rather than content for content's sake. So the last of the five uh, buying things is the buyer's journey. And at the top of that document, I've got, what is the buyer's role in the decision and who else will impact the decision? What resources will they trust to guide that decision? I mean, good questions, right? Exactly. Because if you know that, yeah. I mean, even more now, because, you know, we know now, even since the pandemic, the number of buyers and decision makers and influencers in a group, a buying group, a buying committee, whatever you want to call them, has increased. And, and Gartner will say anything in a complex B2B uh, solution or, or product, you know, somewhere between six and 10. And each of those are consuming somewhere between five and seven pieces of content. Not all mutually exclusive because a lot of it is sharing, it's validation, the consensus gathering within the group. But wow, if you are able to uncover you know, what that particular person's role is and also who the influences are, that's got to be really good information at the start because then you understand what are the informational needs of the different personas within the buying group which then yeah. obviously um reflects or, or, or guides let's say the strategy behind content is there anything you want to add to that yeah here's the one thing i'll add to that because you know a lot of our um, clients come to us and they've built personas for everybody on the buying committee and the by you know, sort of by extension of that, they think they need personalized content for everybody on the buying committee. And since you mentioned Gartner, I'll refer to Hank Barnes at Gartner, an analyst there. You can yeah. follow him. If you're not a Gartner client, you can follow him on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And um, he's done a lot of really great research around this issue of personalization for buying committees. And he and I are completely aligned on stop it. Let's stop doing that. What we need to know from the buyer's journey is who are those members so they all get content, but you don't have to build such differentiated content for everybody on the buying committee. Because incredibly, and he has the research, I can't cite it here, but statistics to support this, that that's driving division in the buying committees, and when I have some a quote I think I posted on my LinkedIn recently, mm -hmm. um, where you know the buyers said to us, you know, one part, one user group was caring about this, and another user group was caring about that, and we couldn't get to a consensus. Now, here's the deal, guys: in order to get the business 
close faster. Remember that was one of our ROI statistics is the business closes faster. We need to drive consensus. So we want to be writing through the buyer's journey insight. We want to know who the members of the buying committee are. But here's this should be good news. You don't have to go build personalized content for everybody on that buying committee. Instead, you need to look at, and this is what the buyer persona should tell you, how that entire buying committee works together to make this decision. And those decision criteria insights will tell you all the questions across that buying committee. So you can make sure, and sure, there'll be, I don't know, I'll take security. You know, there'll be a security question in that because just about every tech, every B2B question now has security embedded in it. That was a safe guess. Um, and, And we may have a piece for the security guy that goes deeper on that point, but we're going to find so many other things that he ought to care about too, that we want to include in his content. So he knows not only does it care about security, but also the user experience, because there's usually a trade-off between user experience and and security. And we want to help that security guy (laughs) be a member of that buying committee and see how those trade-offs occur. So um, yeah, the buyer's journey tells you who's on the committee. It tells you what kind of content they consume, and it tells you the steps they really take. And here's the other really good part of the buyer's journey. You get to find out all the resources you've been spending money on that they're not paying attention to. You know, we've been spending all this money building all this stuff that nobody wants anyway. They don't even go there. Yeah. And and so, yeah, the buyer's journey inside is incredible. Of course, everybody's building buyer's journeys, but they usually see that as separate from the persona. No, the buyer's journey is unique to your buying decision. and. You know, if if you've got the role of, I don't know, the VP of IT or CIO may be different in a decision that's an enterprise-wide technology solution than it is for some, you know, decision that's made elsewhere where he's just a, he's signing off or it's his budget. So we, the buyer's journey for us is a fully integrated part of the persona. It's one of the five categories of insight we need. That's really helpful. That's really, and it's brought back a lot as well. Uh, a lot of memories there. Um, good. So, thank you for that. I think that's really, and, and obviously there'll be a, there'll be some um, a, a link in, in the notes to the website, so they can so listeners can read up more on those insights. Um, so, my question would be, what you know, you speak to a lot of organisations. You, you, I know that you've got uh, hundreds of clients um, who've worked with you. What are the common pitfalls apart from the obvious which we may have covered is there anything that they, you know you think gosh only they would stop making that particular mistake they'd save themselves <laughs> a lot of is there anything there that you can share well i mean the main one is the one we already talked about which is just you know build these things and i don't know put posters on the wall or you know <laughs> oh I, yeah, here's yes. one here's one we haven't gone into enough detail about do not go and present these to your salespeople. Do not. Do not. They will not be impressed. Uh, yeah, salespeople. Uh, so here, I, I'm going to give you a definition of the difference between sales and marketing. Salespeople persuade one account at a time. Marketing persuades a market full of accounts. 
Buyer personas are about a market full of accounts. They're not about one buyer at a time. So, you know, your salespeople need to get content that you build to help them. The, the deliverable is not, here's the persona. First of all, they're going to go, you know, how does that help me? I'm dealing with one guy at this one company or these five companies. And, and they're going to, most sales, and there's exceptions, but most salespeople aren't interested in knowing what a market full of accounts want. What they are interested in is the content you built so that when the question comes up about some obscure you know, aspect of your APIs, you know, do I, is it open source? Is it open? Are they closed APIs? Do I have to use middleware to, in order to enable the integration with my applications? You've already built that content. And the sales rep can, first of all, have understood that content and, and address the question and also have a, a deliverable for the client to go deeper into that topic. So, yeah, yeah don't, go, don't just stand up and be all proud in front of the salespeople and say, oh, and here's our, here's our buyer persona. I think, I, think, I think that's really good advice. Uh, and I can see it. I've been, been in sales and I can see the how that would just get laughed out of town. And of course, then. Or, yeah, and if you are going to deliver them, because some people won't, just have to, you know, then immediately follow it up with. And because we learned this, we built this for you. Yeah. So, you know, I, I always say salespeople are a different persona. Consider your audience, right, Paul? Mm -hmm. Marketers should be excited about buyer personas because they have to build stuff to persuade a market full of buyers. Salespeople need that connection to now here's how this is going to help you win more business. So if you're going to present that, that's their persona. So understand that. And if you're going to present your buyer personas to them, immediately connect it to something that, and this is how we're going to get higher quality leads. This is how we're going to improve the, you know, MQL to SQL conversion rate. And so that they can see what action you're taking as a result of these insights, or they can see that you actually get it about some of the questions that they're being confronted with on these calls. That's going to impress them. Yeah, yeah, spot on, spot on. Really like that. Um, okay, I, there was a question. I just had a motorboat go, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I hope that doesn't come up on the recording. But there was a question I had then. I'm sure it's going to come back to me, Adele. But in the meantime, in the meantime, I'm going to just a couple of that's that's really useful. Those those five insights and take them. Um, couple of quick fire questions here. Um, You've, got, you've had a long, illustrious career, and as you're saying to me, you sort of big enterprises, you were traveling while you were SAP and other organizations, big global organizations, you would spend three weeks every month traveling around the world to many cities. Um, you've got, and, and now you are the, the figurehead when, when it comes to, if people think about buying personas and they're in this space, your name will come up. You've done a great job, if I may say so, in, in doing that. And 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 the whole, even the name, the Buyer Persona Institute. I love it. it sounds formal. It sounds almost like it's government mandated. I have to go there. I love it. Um, <laughs> no, but, but I, I just want to ask you a question. Um, what is what has been your biggest failure along the journey, and and what did you learn mm. from it? Hmm. Yeah, one of my failures. Well. 
you know, it's probably more back when I was a marketer, when I was running product management and sales inside of tech companies. Um, and, you know, really, even then, you know, that was, it's been 22 years since I really wore that hat. Um, <laughs> And, but, you know, probably even then it, it was probably not until I started doing this work for a lot of different companies that I really, really made, made sure my going back, I would make sure my team did even more work on understanding their buyers uh, when I was leading marketing. Um, and then I would say around more recently, the biggest failure is um, when we started first doing this research, we were doing it from our clients customer list mm -hmm. and um and that just ended up extending this research and, and you know so their win loss center basically their wins and losses and um you know that ended up take, taking longer the salespeople, gosh they hang on to those lists you know <laughs> they don't want the t-shirt department <laughs> calling their customers right and so i um you know, I think really seeing the benefit of getting outside of the confines, the construct of of just people that have considered our clients' um, solutions, because even that's not representative of the market. I mean, we have a few, you know, we have some clients that are in the, you know, top 10 tech companies in the world, and they're considered in every deal, you know. Yeah. And then it's probably a different matter. But, you know, for... For most of, we do plenty of studies where our client was never even evaluated. Really? And if we hadn't gone outside of the list that they provided, we would have never really given them a picture of what the market wanted. So we, it, it was, it's quite a big investment to really get the, the right people on the phone and interview them and, and learning how to do that well is probably where we really, really there's one thing we've had to perfect over the 11 years that we've been a company as Buyer Percent Institute. That's it. And we, we finally, you know, have figured that out, but it's, it's, it's no small effort. And, and people will say to me, you know, I read their, your book and I went to your masterclass and how do I get those people on the phone? And I would just say to you that, you know, you probably are going to need to work from your customer list because doing this right, as soon as you get outside of that paradigm is, is really, you know, but, but like you said, Paul, not everybody on the planet ought to be installing their own boiler, right? Which I'm not even sure I know what a boiler is. Is this, a, is this an English term? Yeah, sorry, I should explain. What's a boiler? So a boiler would be the piece of um, technology or equipment that the hot water is going through to heat your house and the gas is heating heat. it up. Yeah. A hot water heater. There you go. There you go. I thought we spoke the same language, Adele. I thought we spoke the same language. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. You hot see, water heater. See, there's a difference. In the US, they call that a hot water heater. Uh, yeah, I got it now. Brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for that. I think that's really insightful. So, the other question I've got is what's one thing that you wish you had known when you started your career? Ooh, when I started my career. Ooh, boy. I mean, obviously, nowadays, I think it's it's everything about the buyers. But gosh, you know, I I just think that as there's so much pressure on young people today starting their careers. Um, and I 
I, my favorite book, and I've read a million books. I mean, truthfully, this bookshelf back here is just a fraction because nowadays I buy everything as an ebook and I read every one of those books. But my favorite one is Rich Dad, Poor Dad um, for young people starting their career. I think it's that the goal of every job is, you know, and I'm going to do a bad job of summarizing that book, but uh, fundamentally what that book's about is make sure that every job you take is about learning something new. It's not about how much money you make. It's not even about the job title. It's like select. It's all about learning. And because, you know, where I am today, thank you for all that, those accolades, Paul. Um, I'm blushing over here. But the reality is it's, you know, everybody's career is somewhat accidental. I mean, things just sort of happen and we end up in another job. But the more intention we can have around learning something new, because for me, you know, I started off and I fell in love with tech in the 70s, dare I say. (laughs) I did. And working for Wells Fargo Bank and buying a deck PDP-8 for their, this create a word processing department, we called it, that we create a paperless bank. Anybody seen a paperless bank? We're getting there. But anyway, that was like a long time ago. But I fell in love with tech, went into marketing, ended up in sales a little bit, carried a bag for like a year of my career, ran sales for seven years. Then I, you know, I, I ran marketing for three different companies. And then I went back. SAP thing was when I worked with a company called Pragmatic Marketing. I built their two-day product marketing class. And that's what led to the Bayer Poisson Institute. So you can look backwards on your career and you can see all those threads. For me, this work was a would have never happened or come to me if I hadn't worked for Regis McKenna in the 80s. I talk about that in my book. Mm-hmm. He launched Apple. He was the biggest PR firm in, the, in tech in the 80s. Um, launched Apple and Intel, just some little companies you might have heard of. And then, and then run sales and marketing. And it was really taking all of those experiences and putting it together that, that had me build the buyer persona methodology that I built and that the book structured around. So it's only in hindsight that we can have clarity about the good decisions and bad decisions we made in our career. That is so true. But at the beginning, if we, I, you know, if we just start that in every job we select, it's like, how can I learn something new from this job? How can I do something I've never done before? And I used to tell people when you're, when you're young, go to work for big companies, try to move around a lot. They'll train you. You'll get to do lots of different things. And then later in your career, go to work for small companies because that's where you'll get more control and more um, opportunities to do things across that expertise. But you need those early, like, multidimensional skills. Um, Scott Adams, who writes Dilbert, talks, if you read his bio, he does a really good job of explaining how it's the combination of different skill sets mm-hmm. that allows us to do something unique and contribute something unique in the world. It's not about just doing one thing the same way all the time. And so, yeah, sorry, that was a long answer. People don't usually no. ask me that, Paul. Well, Thanks for that question. No, that is, and, and I, I think you've answered that really authentically. And uh, anyone who's listening to this, I think, will take something away from that because it's so true. And, you know, I, I've, 
I have um, nephews and nieces that I, I say the same to. Um, they, yeah. should do, they should do uh, take that journey and, and, and be prepared. Yeah, learn something every day. And if you're in the wrong organization where that is not happening, be prepared and be have the, have the, you know, have the conviction to move on. Right. Or move around, you know, really, a lot of people just kind of get in the same, you don't have to change companies as long as you do something different in that company. Yep. And, um, and because, you know, people go to school, right? We go to school, we learn to read and write and arithmetic. And then we, you know, we go to college and we learn something else. And then people said, okay, learning's done. No, it's the opposite. We are, I am learning every day. That's what I love about this work is every you know week we deliver a new study to a new client learning what buyers want from that company it's fascinating um, it's all the different i've learned about so many technologies because we've got 150 tech industry clients and you know it's just so that that curiosity and that passion for learning is what yeah. when you created my success excellent when you were just describing that i was just i was thinking where is where is this going? What how is technology going to change what you guys do in terms of you're talking to people, you're getting these insights, they're going into documents, you're understanding this, this, this product, this product, this industry, this in. Is there, do you do you think there's a, a, a time when actually that information is going to get plugged into it? You've got some sort of machine learning that's actually going, oh look, these are the and then you've got some sort of from machine learning to AI, and actually this becomes because there's so much information there. How can someone like you, you've got, it's all there. You, 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 you just said you're learning something every day and you learned something every day last year and the year before. But we have a limited capability to bring all that together sometimes. And really, you know, you can, but to get past, passing that on, et cetera. So I'm just, a, a question just came up when, when we were talking about it. Is, do, you, do you think about that? Do you think, could technology help? Yeah. Probably not replace it, but could it help? Well, you know, this could be a long answer. We're nearing the end of our time. We are, we are. I'll try to be brief. Um, so, you know, we've looked at using AI to try to analyze the patterns and in our insights. And I think that will happen mm -hmm. um, at some point. But here's the main thing about, and this is sort of bring this back to today. You know, what we can learn a lot from, from the technology, as technology marketers, we have tools that will tell us everything buyers are doing when they're engaging with us. Yep. But here's, there's two problems with that. Um, and I don't, I don't have any stats on this that are current, but at some point, I think I saw it was something like 70% of the buyer's journey, they're not even engaging with us. So we can't track that part. Yep. That's not broken. And, and it's not digital. So you've got to think technology only tracks what's what's digitally possible. And, and if this is another aspect of B2C that's different. You know, if I want to buy a new, I don't know, I just bought a new vacuum. <laughs> I bought a vacuum in 15 years. It's a pain in the butt buying a new vacuum. Hard to buy. But every part of that, my journey was online. I was reading reviews. I, somebody can track that. And if I'm buying a new cybersecurity solution for my organization, Technology is never going to give me that whole story because it can't. There's so much in my journey that's not digital. Number one, and number two, it, technology will tell you what I'm doing, but not why. That's so true. And Simon Sinek's book, "Start with Why," yep. 
um, talks a lot about the most important thing we need to know is why do buyers make those decisions? And so we, I don't think that technology in my lifetime, for sure, I'm a lot older than your audience, maybe I just disclosed that by talking about the seventies, but anyway, um, we, we, I don't think technology is ever going to be able to understand enough about why. No, I agree with you on that. I agree. I think um, vendors, uh, tech, tech, the, the martech industry might uh, might disagree and come up with some fandangled bit of technology that they say will do. But no, actually, you're absolutely right. The why is the mystery, and the mystery can only be uncovered with a process, as you have described, and is indeed in your book. So. Thank you so much, Adele. Human people interacting with people, yeah. People interacting. People, yeah. And we all know that, you know, people are predictable, right? (laughs) Not always. Anyway, Adele, it's been a real pleasure having you as my guest today. Thank you so much. Before we wrap up, would you tell listeners where they can learn more about you and how to get in contact? Sure. Uh, They can reach out to us or there's a lot of additional resources at buyerpersona.com. Excellent. And obviously find you on LinkedIn as well. As well. Thanks again, Adele. And thank you to all our listeners. Have a fabulous day. And as we say here, and as Adele also says, never stop learning. Thank you, Paul. See you on the next episode. Thanks again for joining me on B2B Uncovered. If you liked this episode, then please hit the subscribe button. Want to go the full hog? Hey, yeah, I'd love a rating from you. Just tap the number of stars that you'd like to give us. As we're just getting going, that's going to help tremendously. Thank you.